Would you take your Bibles to the book of Haggai? It's a book that you probably don't hear of often, but it's a book that has great truth that I believe can bring a sense of um, application to your life today. So Haggai chapter number one, we're going to look at this just for a few moments, and I want to um, just bring out a few things that I think is important. Now, anytime you read the Bible, anytime you read the Bible, you have to understand it in its historical context. Now, I don't want to bore you this morning with a bunch of facts and figures about a book, but I do know that every one of you is smart enough to comprehend what I'm saying. You're very intelligent. You've been in church. If you haven't been in church, you've been around church. And so, but it's important that I make sure that I make a distinction this morning that in order for you to understand what the scripture is clearly teaching, then it is very important that we understand the historical background by which the author was in, all right? And, and I see this sometimes in church. People read the Bible, and I've seen pastors do it. Then they come up with their own interpretation of what the Bible means. And that's not what the Bible means at all. You've got to understand the historical context by which the scripture was written. If you agree with me, say amen. And when you understand the historical context by which the scripture was written and the author's mindset, then it helps you understand a little bit better what the scripture is trying to relate to us. And so in the book of Haggai, it's a book you don't hear of often, but it's a book of great importance. It's one of the minor prophets, not because the message is minor, but just because the, the, the book is short. And in this book, there is a dilemma and there is a problem. And this is the problem. The people of God, everybody shout the people of God. And they were in bondage to Babylon. And they had been in bondage to Babylon for 70 years. Somebody shout 70 years of bondage. Now the reason that they were in bondage for 70 years is because they disobeyed the Lord. And so the Babylonians came in and destroyed everything they had, destroyed their city, destroyed their homes, and took, you know, 4,000, some of their people, and took it to a foreign land. Well, after 70 years, a majority of those people came back to Judah, okay? So this is the picture I want you to see. God's people rebelled in sin, and so they were put in bondage for 70 years. After 70 years, the majority of them, not all of them, uh, came back to their land, to Judah, and when they got back to their land, they discovered that, you know, my homes are destroyed, the temple is destroyed. Now, the temple was the, the center of life for the Jewish people. Everything centered around the temple. And when they got back to their land, the temple was destroyed, remember? The enemy destroyed it. They, they've been away for 70 years. They come back home, and they find out their homes are destroyed. Nothing's the same. The temple is destroyed. And then they all got together, and they decided, let's get on with our life, and let's rebuild the temple. The temple was God's place where he met with his people. It was God's place where he communed with his people. And so they came back to their land, they got excited to build the temple, but the busyness of life got to all of them. 
and they soon started to make excuses of why they can't build the temple. They started taking their children to school. They started working their jobs. They started getting really busy with everyday life, and they never rebuilt the temple. They made excuses. Well, someday we'll rebuild it. Someday God's glory is going to be just as strong as it was before it was destroyed. I mean, they made all kinds of excuses. And God raised up a prophet, Haggai. Haggai was very disturbed by the condition of the day. He was disturbed that they were all making excuses and were not concerned about the rebuilding of the temple. Haggai would weep because these people become so preoccupied in their busyness and routine of life that they did not put attention on priority. I don't know about you, but it almost sounds like modern-day Christianity, isn't it? Now, just look at it. Haggai chapter number 1, and I want you to look at verse number 2. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be rebuilt. Or built. So you see what's happening here. The Lord is saying, the people are making excuses. The people are making excuses. And what is their excuse? The excuse is, it's not time to build the house of God. We'll build the house of God later. We'll put attention on it later. It's not time to build the house of God. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, they were making excuses for not building the house of God. Now let me stop and pause and say this. Sometimes our patience is really procrastination. Sometimes it's like it's not the season, it's not the timing. That is a bunch of hogwash. We have missed a lot of opportunities in the church. You have missed a lot of opportunities in your life because we always want to use the excuse, it's not the time to do it, it's not the season to do it, let's be patient on God's timing, when in what's, what we're really doing, we are procrastinating the will of God because we don't really want to do what God really wants us to do. Somebody help this preacher preach up in this house this morning. Never substitute patience for procrastination. They're saying, it's not the time to build the house of God. We don't, you know, we'll build the house of God later. You've got to be careful. You don't fall in the trap of substituting your patience for procrastination and covering up the will of God by saying, it's not time to do it. It is time to do what God has called us to do. It's time to win the lost. It's time to grow a church. It's time to be a giver. Come on, somebody. It's time to walk in the fullness and the blessing of God. And so these people said, oh, it's just not time to do it. They, they, they knew it was a great cause to build the house of God. 
They understood, but they made excuses. So you see, you see right at the beginning of the story, you see excuses, number one. And then, then you see there's a problem. Their excuses led to a problem because the Bible says in Haggai, chapter number one, verse number six, this was the problem. You ready for the problem? Everybody shout problem. This is the problem because excuses leads to problems. I come on, somebody. This is what the Lord says. The Lord said, this, is, this was their problem. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Hold on. They're making excuses, and the problem is this. The problem is they are giving a lot in life, but they are getting little in return. In other words, they're really busy. They work a lot. They're busy with activity. They're taking their kids to soccer. They're, they're really busy. They're giving to their own priorities. And the Lord is saying the problem is, is you're doing a lot but it's like a bag that has holes in it and you're putting a deposit in the bag but it's, it's seeping out. You're, you're, you're exerting a lot of effort. You're doing a lot of things but you are not satisfied. You don't have significance. You don't have value. You are working really hard but you have no value and significance and it does not satisfy your life. Isn't that the picture of the modern day society? We are busier than we've ever been. We are going here. We are going there. We're smarter than we've ever been but yet we are more in, we are more in trouble than we've ever been because things will never bring Things will never satisfy the emptiness of the soul of the human heart. It never brings satisfaction. It never brings significance. Can I hear an amen up in this house? You see, we are smarter, but we're not wiser. We know a whole lot more, but we understand less. We go faster, but it seems like we're not any wiser. We have the ability to conquer space. But some of us can't conquer our carnal habits. Oh, we're working hard, aren't we? We're giving a lot. You're super busy in life. They're making excuses. We don't have time to build the house of God. The timing is not yet. And God said the problem is you're busy, but your busyness is like a bag that has holes in it, and you're just making deposits, and it's seeping out of your life. How many would agree with the pastor this morning that it seems like that we give a lot, but we have little in return? We're spinning our wheels, and it seems like we're getting more frustrated at the moment. It seems like that we're more frustrated. It seems like we're looking here and looking there to find significance. We're really busy. We're putting in a lot of effort. Let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. If you're going to make progress, effort is not the only thing you need. If you're going to make progress in life, effort is not the only thing you need. As a matter of fact, passion 
is not the only thing you need. I know a whole lot of people that work really hard in life and do the right things and very passionate, very zealous, but they are spinning their wheels. Because if you're going to make progress in life, it is not about just effort and passion. It is effort plus passion plus the right direction. You've got to learn to go in the right direction if you're going to make progress. Because you can give a lot of effort and a lot of passion and go and make progress in the wrong direction. You can work, out the, you can work at the gym and make a lot of progress and work there six days a week and it doesn't look like you're going to the gym because you're not going in the right direction. You're not doing it right. So because you're working hard and because you're doing things and you're busy in life doesn't mean you're going in the right direction. These people were busy, wasn't they? Oh, yeah, the Lord said, the Lord said, oh, you've sown much, verse number six. You've sown much, but it gives you little in return. You eat. You have enough food, but you don't have enough. You drink, but yet you're not filled. You have a lot of productivity, but yet it returns to you less. There's not significance. So you see there's excuses there. You see that there's problems there. You see, you know what God was trying to do? God was trying to say, you know what the issue is here? The issue is, is priorities. That's the issue. Your priority should be on the house of God and I will take care of your fields. I will take care of your house. I will take care of your children. If you take care of my house, you're not going to worry about your house. Somebody help me right there. If you take care of his house, you're not going to have to put that much effort in your house. But you're spinning your wheels because you're spending all your energy in your house, your house, while my house goes neglected. There's a problem, he says. He says, you know, I, I'm the one, I'm the one that controls the harvest. I'm the one. You see, you know what I've learned about God? Sometimes God will frustrate your progress so that he can remind you of your priorities. Sometimes God gets in the middle of your progress and frustrates you to remind you that you cannot seek after things and expect the kingdom. You've got to seek the kingdom and he throws in the things. Did you hear me? And you can run after things and things and things and things and you're not going to get the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Hallelujah. If you seek the kingdom, you seek things, you'll miss the kingdom. If you seek the kingdom, he adds things to you. And what was these people doing? They were just trying to add things to their life. If you depend on your stuff, then you're going to forget the source. And that's why God has to get in the progress to frustrate you so it can remind you that you have lost your priorities. If you're frustrated today about your life, don't blame it on the devil. Don't blame it on the church. It's God 
who is frustrating you to remind you you're going in the wrong direction and you need to turn around and go in the right direction and bring your life back into priority of where it belongs. Don't blame it on the devil. Sometimes that's exactly what God is doing. You see, you see that there is a problem here. You see there's excuses and there's a problem. And then it, it seems like there's a progression here because verse number four, this is, what, this is what God is saying. Now look at it. Verse four, Haggai 1 verse four. He says, he says, it is time for yourself to dwell it's, you've dwelt in your paneled houses, and yet my house, my temple, lays in, in ruins. In other words, get this. This is, this is what God's saying. God is saying, you have some success. In paneled houses, the Hebrew translation is ivory houses, nice houses. That's, it, he's making the point that some of you do have success. You live in your paneled houses while my house is going to waste. In other words, you have a measure of success, but that success does not satisfy you, doesn't bring completion to you. There's this longing on the inside of you that you know that there is more than what you do every day of your life. There's something inside of you that's crying for more because you know that what you're doing, there's more. There's, there is significance in life. Can God use your place of employment? Yes. Can God use your spirit? Yes. He can use all of that. What God desires is to do something in you that we don't run after stuff and forget the source. So, he says, though some of you, you got, you, got your, you got your success. He says, but then, this is, what's, this is what's so cool about this whole story. He says, he says y'all making excuses. Y'all procrastinating. I know you're busy with your life. And I know all of you say, now we're going to build the house of God. Listen, it's not that these people didn't want to build the house of God. It's not that these people didn't love God. It's that these people had wrong priorities. And I don't believe that some of you are possessed by Lucifer and I'm, some of us don't serve and some of us, you know, I don't believe you're, you're possessed by Lucifer or you got the seed of the devil in you or you're trying to be rebellious. It's always the issue of priority. And, and that goes to every area of life. It's a, it's a priority. I don't think our heart's wrong that we're trying to be rebellious or anti-God or anti-church. It's just an issue of our priorities. And these people love God. They knew that God brought them from a long way. They had good intentions. But let me remind you, the graveyard in Baxter Springs has hundreds of people buried there. And I promise you, there's lots of good intentions buried in the graveyard. There are people buried in the graveyard that's probably a better preacher than me. People buried in the graveyard with unused potential and capabilities. It's buried in the graveyard because they had good intentions. 
They wanted to do something. But they substituted their patience and timing. It was really just procrastination is what it was. Because they really never did it. Then the Lord said to these people, he said, Haggai chapter number one, he says it twice, verse number five. He says, now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Other words, he's like, people, wake up, consider what you're doing. He says in verse number seven, again, there, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Twice in the same chapter. He actually says it more, but I want you to pay attention to these two occasions. He says, consider your ways. Wake up. Consider what you're doing. You're busy, but it's not producing satisfaction and value in your life. And you know, some people make the excuse that, Lord, we'll build the temple when provision comes. We'll sit here, Lord, we really want to build your temple, but we don't got enough money. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. You've got enough resources. You've been sowing a lot. You've been eating a lot. You've been drinking a lot. You have what you need to do to build the temple. Don't make excuses that there's no provision. And I will let you know that in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, there is always provision for the work of God. I'm going to say that again. In the kingdom of God, there is always provision for the work of God. We don't serve a God that is broke. We don't serve a God that's barely making it. We don't serve a God who is depressed today. We don't serve a God, come on somebody, who is wringing his hands trying to figure out how he's going to take care of you and I. We serve a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, omnipresent. We serve a God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We serve a God that can do anything exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Never doubt the providing hand of God. Because listen, listen, do you know why we don't have provision in our life? Because our priorities are not right, and God is not going to fund something that he didn't author. Woo! I said in the kingdom of God, there is always provision. And the reason that there is lack in certain areas is because God is saying, I'm not going to fund something that I didn't put my stamp of approval on. But if I approved it, and if I'm the author of it, I'm going to be the finisher of that thing. Where he sins, he provides. If there is a lack of provision, there is not priorities. He funds what he aligns. He funds right priorities. You know what God said? These people are saying, oh, we don't have time to build the house. We don't got the money to build it. We don't got the resources to build the house. And God says, verse number 8, Haggai chapter 1, verse 8, he says, hold on, people. 
He says, I want you to go to the mountain and I want you to bring some wood and I want you to build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. He says, I got provision beyond what you see. I got trees and a mountain. You're looking around you and saying, where's the resources? Where, where, what, how are we going to build this thing? And God says, you need to look up because there's a mountain there with some timber up there. And if you can go up there and cut some trees down, you can start making the foundation today. Woo. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying we can no longer sit along the sidelines saying we don't got the time, we don't got the resources, we can't do it. And God says, look up. There is resources beyond what you can imagine. Get yourself up. Pull yourself up and go to the mountain and tear down some limber and make the temple of God. Don't ever say there's not provision. Don't ever hang your head down and say, how are we going to make it? If God has aligned the priorities, there is provision for the priority. Oh, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? Your panic doesn't produce the power of God. Your faith produces the power of God. Because there isn't any significance to any process that God isn't involved in. If God isn't involved in the process, there is no significance. That's why God has to be in the middle. God has to be involved. God has to be in the process. Because when God is not in the process, there is no significance to anything. If God, is not the, if God is not in the process of Christ's point, there is no significance and no destiny and no purpose for Christ's point. But if God is in the middle of Christ's point, we have significance, we have value, we have destiny, and God will provide because we have put him as priority and his principles and precepts as priority. You see that? He says... Get yourself up there, and I want you to tear down some limber. He says, he says in verse number 8, they're still making excuses. Verse 9, he says, he says, you look for much, for indeed it came to little. You're doing a lot. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Oh, they were going to get the timber but they were making excuses about building the temple and procrastinating. They were using it for their own paneled houses. And God says, what I'm going to do, if you continue to not align your priorities correctly, I'm going to blow it away. Why are we so frustrated? Why isn't it working in our life? Could it be that our priorities is not right and God is spiritually blowing things out of the way? He says, if you use that timber for your paneled houses, I'll blow the timber away. I'll blow it away. I'll get rid of it. Don't you use what I've told you to use for your paneled houses. I'll blow it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, 
Because my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to your own house. God sometimes frustrates the process so that he can remind us of our priorities. Sometimes God will frustrate the progress so that he can remind you of your priorities. Sometimes if your priorities is not right, he'll blow stuff out of your life that you thought was important. Why? Because he's trying to get you. Let, can I just sum the Bible up in a few sentences? This is what the whole Bible's about. In the Old Testament, there's a group of people who said they loved God, but the issue was they started following other gods. God appeared to a man by the name of Abraham and said, I am the only God. And you are to raise up a people, and they are to believe in one God. And then you are to make memorials throughout the years to point people to the one God. The New Testament, the same way. We don't serve idols, but we make idols of things in our life. It's always an issue of who is on the throne of your heart. It's always the issue is who is your God? Is there total allegiance and devotion to the one God? Or are you serving things that are good? Because the fall of humanity happened because of a woman in the garden who thought good was acceptable, and she ate good fruit, and because she did something good, it damned humanity. you got to be careful of the good things in life, because this is the good things in life that's not necessarily the priority. Good is not always best, and good is not always right. We'll just cut down our own timber and we'll make our own paneled houses. We, we don't have time. Jeez, God, dude, listen, Lord. The temple is too big. It's going to take us forever to build this temple, but we'll go up and get some timber and because of procrastination, every once in a while, we'll go get a piece of timber and fix our roof and fix our windows and, you know, we're, it, you know, it's a nice idea, but it's not important. It's not important. But I love this book because in so many, and listen, anytime Pastor Josh preaches, listen. I've already preached it to myself about five times, okay? I've already repented and solved because it, if I don't believe it, you ain't going to believe it. Can I hear him? Am I right? And the very first audience I'm preaching it to is myself, so if I'm preaching a little hard, I'm already hard on myself, all right? And so, so, and how many knows Isaiah said, woe is me, before he said, woe to the people? So first, it's about me. When I was reading this, I loved, <laughs> and that's what the Bible is about, folks. I mean, it paints a picture of a group of people that don't have their priorities right, a group of people, God saying, consider your ways. It doesn't, it doesn't look too good. It looks kind of bleak here. I just love the Bible because 
right in the pages of this book, God does a shift. And I was reading it, and I saw the work of the Holy Spirit shifting something in this book. And I, I, was, I was reading down here, and verse number 12, Zerubbabel, which is one of God's leaders here, he is encouraging the people, and we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but you can read it when you get home. He's, he's, he's uh, speaking to the people, and the people are obeying the voice of the Lord, the words of Hag Haggai, the prophet of the Lord, and the people begin to fear in the presence of the Lord. So here is a man by the name of Zerubbabel. They're hearing the words of the prophet. These people begin to repent, basically. They begin to repent and realize, listen, listen, listen. Look at Pastor Josh. They realize that the way I live my life is the way I interpret my life. The way you live your life, you are experiencing your interpretation of your life. That is why some people will give up and some people will progress. Progress. You know why? Because they have the why to the what in life. Did you all just hear what Pastor said? They understand the why to the what in life. What is what happens to you, good or bad? And when what, when the bad happens, the what, some people will fall along the wayside because they can't understand the why. Why did the what happen? But if you can understand like Paul the Apostle, who said, even though I'm in chains, even though I'm locked up in the Philippian jailhouse, that's the what. I'm in prison. Bad things happen to me. People are talking bad about me. But Paul said, I understand the why. I'm in chains because this is going to further the gospel of the kingdom of God around the world. If you can get a hold of the why, it doesn't matter what happens to you. And we have focused so much on the what that we have told ourselves a different interpretation of the story. He says, these people started repenting. The word of the Lord came forth. And then when these people started repenting, guess what happens? The Bible says, Haggai, look at this. Haggai chapter 1 verse 14. He says, then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Somebody say he stirred up. Somebody say he stirred up. Not only did he stir up the spirit of Zerubbabel, but the Bible says he began to stir up the spirit of the remnant of the people because they came and worked on the house of the Lord their God. Listen, after they acknowledge that their priorities was out of line, God began to stir up their hearts. I'm going to say it again. When they acknowledged that their priorities was out of line, God began to stir up their hearts because God is saying, I'm going to give you the power to do what is right. 
you acknowledge that the priorities are out of line, now I'm going to stir up your heart so you can get the job done. And let me tell you, the people got excited, the Spirit started working, and they finished what God told them to do. Listen, you can align your priorities, but if the Spirit of God don't stir your heart up, you will never get it done. Can I hear an amen? He says... He began to stir up the heart. And then, this is the climax of the story. This is the whole point of the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. This is the point. Verse 8, look at verse 8. Haggai 2, verse 8. He says, he ends the book, the prophet ends the book by saying, all the silver is mine, says the Lord. It all belongs to God. And then he says, verse number 9, he says, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. Now the former temple was destroyed, right? Says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So what is the point? Listen to Pastor Josh. We want the glory, and the glory is the presence of God, to come among us, don't we? How did the glory show up on the new temple? The glory was a result of people putting their priorities in a line with God's priorities. Did you all just hear me? Everybody look at me. How do you get the glory? The alignment of priorities is what produced the glory. So we can come in here and cry and bawl around the front for the glory of God. It ain't going to show up until in your house, in your personal house, you align the priorities right. And when you get your priorities right, we're not going to have to ask for the glory. God will send the glory. You, you hear what I'm saying? So could it be we're asking God send the glory, send the glory. It's because our priorities is not right and we want a quick fix for our problems. The glory or the manifest presence of God was a result of them putting their priorities right. Because when God's glory, listen, when God's glory shows up, He is putting His stamp of approval on what is going on. So, you know how the glory comes? When I make the right decisions on a daily basis. When I make the right decision to walk in love with my neighbor. When I make the right decision to walk in love with my family. When I make the right decision to put God first in every area of my life and to the best of my ability. To put God first in every decision that I make. When I make that decision that I align my life with God's priorities, then the glory and the manifest presence of God comes as a stamp of approval that what we are doing, we are doing what's right. Because when priorities are aligned, there is no lack of provision and there is no lack of the glory of God. 
There is no lack of provision and there is no lack of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, you know that the books of the Bible are not necessarily aligned in order. Am I right about it? So you could have one of the books of the Bible who is should be before Haggai or vice versa when it deals with time. But you remember what Zechariah said? Zechariah said to these people who was building the temple, he says, and I'm trying to find it, I think it's Zechariah chapter, uh, and I don't know if I have it marked here. And if I don't, I'll just recite it to you by memory. But you remember Zechariah dealing with these people, and he said to them, he said, it's not going to be by might, and it's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by what? The Spirit of the Lord. He also said to the people, don't despise the days of small beginnings. Where is that scripture found? Does anybody know? Huh? 4.10. Yeah, thank you. Zechariah 4, verse 10. I'm going to close with this. Or verse number 6. Zechariah 4, verse number 6. He says, so he answered and said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Remember, Zerubbabel is in the story of Haggai. He says, it's not going to be by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He further goes on in verse number 7. He says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall be made plain. Now, what was the mountain? You read the story. It was the neighboring country that was trying to stop the rebuilding. When they started building it, Persia started put in opposition to stop it. And the word of the Lord is, listen, don't worry about the mountains. You just keep building what God says to build, and you need to shout to the mountains in your life, grace, grace. Keep going forth in the spite of opposition. Then the Bible says, moreover, the word of the Lord, verse 8 says to me, the hands of Zerubbabel, who've laid the foundations of this temple, his hands shall also finish it then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. He says, what I have authored, I'm going to finish this thing. I know you have procrastinated. I know that you've been discouraged. I know that you've been wandering around and you think you don't have provision to finish this. But I am going to finish what I have birthed in the hearts of my people. I'm going to make sure this temple is built. And the same hands that laid the first stone will be the same hands that will lay the last stone. And i got a word for this church. What God has started in this church, it's not going to go unfinished or unnoticed because the same hands that laid the foundation is the same hands that God is going to use to finish this thing. What God has authored, he will finish. And what you author, he's not obligated to finish. But what he authors, he will finish. And then the Bible says, then you'll know that the Lord of hosts, verse 10, but don't despise, verse 10, don't despise the day of small things. I know it doesn't look like you're making progress. I know you're getting discouraged. But the word of the Lord is don't despise the day of small things. 
And you can look around and see there's small things at Christ's point. But the word of the Lord is don't despise the days of small things because in the process, God's working his plan and his purpose. Doesn't look like anything. But God is using those small steps. It's not just the effort that makes the progress. It's not just the passion that makes the progress. It's making the steps in the right direction that makes progress. He says, he says you're going to finish it. I, you know, I could finish preaching this, and, I, and I, I'm just, I love the Lord. Can I just tell you something else? I'm going to sit down. Is that all right? He says, Zerubbabel, this is all about the temple here. These books are dealing with the rebuilding of the temple. He says, verse 2, Zechariah 4, verse 2, this man, this Zechariah, he's a preacher, has a vision of the temple of God. And in the temple he says, I'm looking, I see a lampstand with solid gold on top of it, a bowl, seven pipes with seven lamps, two olive trees, one by the right and the left. And he answered and talked to me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel said, he said, do you not know what these are? He says, no, my Lord. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This, this guy, this prophet, has a vision of the temple of God. But he doesn't see the temple. He sees a menorah. Look, a menorah with seven branches. And what he sees is pipes running to the branches. Now, hold on. In the real temple, there's no pipes you got to light the candles but this preacher is having a vision of the coming temple of God and he sees a menorah with seven branches with pipes running to it it's different than what he recognizes because the pipes didn't exist in the temple it was just you had to light the candles You know what God's saying? I'm going to get this temple rebuilt because I'm going to have people like the menorah. They don't have to have someone light them up. I'm going to have a spiritual pipe hooked to them and the glory is going to be always hooked to them. The anointing, the oil is always going to be hooked to them. In order for you to get the temple done, you've got to have a continual supply of the power of God to get what I want done. Woo! You see what I'm saying? If we're going to get what needs to get done, it has to have a continual supply of the source and the power of God. And if you've got to have somebody to light your candle all the time, you're probably going to be sitting along the sideline making excuses of why the temple ain't being rebuilt. And God is saying, if I'm going to rebuild this thing, I'm going to raise up some people and I'm going to put a continual supply of the power of God to get my job done. God's looking for people with a continual supply of power that don't always have to be lit all the time. Don't have to be pampered, pacified. Those people are okay. As long as you're a baby Christian, I'll pamper you. But if you've been in the church for 30 years, it's time to take the diapers off 
throw away the pacifier and put an army outfit on. Come on, somebody, get in the foxhole and learn how to fight and be brave. I will be very nurturing to new Christians. I'm just a nurturing person anyway because I'm a pastor. There comes a time, and I'm not saying this to anyone in particular, I'm preaching to the Baptist church down the street. I'm saying that he says, I'm going to have a continual supply of power. And then he says, he says, then I answered, he says, verse 3, Zechariah 4, 3, then there's two olive trees by it, one on the right and one on the left. And I answered and said, who talked to me saying, what are these, my Lord? The angel answered and said to me, do you not know who these are, my Lord? He said, no, I, I no, I don't. This is the word of the Lord. Two olive trees? Two olive trees? He, he further demonstrates the olive trees in verse 11, Zechariah 4, 11. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees? One on the right and one on the left of the lampstand. And I answered and said, these are the two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two golden pipes, which the golden oil drains. It says, two olive trees that's dripping with oil. If I'm going to get the temple rebuilt, I've got to have people who have a continual supply of God's provision and source into their life. But I'm also going to have to have a group of people that's like olive trees that's dripping with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What is the anointing? It's not a goosebump. What is the anointing? It's not falling on the floor. What is the anointing? It's not speaking in tongues. Those are characteristics of feelings that we have when we sense the presence of God. The anointing, when it shows up, it breaks the yoke of bondage. It destroys the yoke of oppression. When the anointing shows up, it does what I cannot do in my human power. I have to have people... I have to have people who is infused with the anointing because you're going to have some obstacles that you're going to come up against when you're building this temple. And you've got to learn not to give up, but you've got to be infused with the anointing because the anointing will break the barriers so you can continue to lay the blocks. I'm raising up some people that has a continual supply of power. I'm raising up some people who operates in the anointing because what I want to establish, what I want to build is beyond your imagination. And I want to prophesy to this church, what God wants to do here is beyond what I can think or you can think. It outlasts us. How, how, how does God build here at Christ's point when we align our priorities with his priorities and his glory will be a result of us doing the right thing? We'll no longer have to pray for revival. We'll no longer have to pray for the glory. It will just show up because we have aligned our priorities right. It will be a byproduct of what God wants to do. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise the Lord. Now I'm going to close, I promise I'm going to close with this. Zechariah 9 verse 12 
towards the end of the book about rebuilding the temple, he says, he says, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I'm going to restore double to you. Listen, this is what God says. You ready for this? He says, for 70, I'm going to close with this. For 70 years, you were in bondage to the Babylonians. For 70 years, you were in bondage with no hope. For 70 years, you were a prisoner of no hope. But this time, change your perception because you're my prisoner now and now you are a prisoner of hope because I'm going to build this temple and you're going to be a prisoner of the hope of God. In other words, I'm imprisoned with hope. Everywhere I look, there's hope. I try to get out. And when I look at the bars, I see hope. When I look at the floor, I see hope. When I look at the bed, I see hope. I am a prisoner of hope. Because I have aligned my priorities right. And the glory and provision is a result of me aligning my priorities. But lastly, there's always hope when priorities is aligned right. Why does people feel hopeless? They don't know what to do with the life. What is priority? Every devastation, every oppression, all of its result of misplaced love. Loving the wrong things. That's the problem with humanity. Misplaced love, misplaced priorities. And we spend years and years and years and years and years trying to figure out what's wrong with our life. And you live and you experience the interpretation of your life. Is life hard sometimes? Yes. It's not a bed of roses? Yes, we're all going to go through hard times. But even in the hard times of struggle, priorities has a way of making a line through the struggle. It's that two white lines on the road. It's what priorities is. There's hills, there's valleys. I just got to keep aligning myself through it all.